Hey guys, Sklar Brothers here from View from the Cheap Seats podcast. And this week we have one of the best sports writers in the game. And he's got a great podcast as well. Jonah Carey joins us on the podcast. Did you have fun on View from the Cheap Seats, Jonah? I had the most fun and my commute was about 14 steps down to my living room. We did it in your living room. We're in Denver. It's a little road. uh, I'm going to call it a road victory for us all. We all There's no one I want to talk to more than who right now during these baseball playoffs than than Jonah Jonah Carey. Carey. So join us on this episode because we take the deepest dive. Let me just say there is a three a <laughs> Mordecai three, three finger, finger brown reference. There you go. That's and by there. the way, Gar Ryness is not here. I'm kissing him. I'm, I'm giving love. a shout out now. I feel like he always needs to be at least in spirit. When we love talk. to the batting stance yes. guy. Guys, finding quality denim jeans is tough, and to find a good pair without breaking the bank is just uh, almost impossible. But at Distilled, spelled D S T L D. You get, like, brand top quality jeans at a price that won't break your bank. And I know I said break the bank, but I like saying break the bank. And I'll say it again. Break the bank. But just go to distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D.com right now and use the promo code FARRELL and check out and get a 20% discount on your first pair. And these are great jeans. I love them. I wear them all the time. Heck, I sleep in them. Distilled jeans. They're the best jean you're ever going to wear. In fact, I shower in them. Distilled jeans. D-S-T-L-D. They're good quality, super duper denim. And, you know, it's not going to cost you like $200 or $100. Go to distilled.com. D-S-T-L-D.com. Do it. Get some jeans. Look cool. Hello, welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Welcome, welcome to it. Hey, do you like that song that's playing? That's uh, Les Blanks. You can go to lesblanks.com, check out more of their music. That's real groovy shit, man. Put that on your record player. Or put that on your headphones when you're rollerblading around in your tight short shorts. That's what I do when I listen to Les Blanks. Um, if you haven't listened to my show before, it is what the title kind of suggests. It's a conversation with me. And it's kind of a free-flowing, free-form kind of uh, conversation there. Uh, nothing really, uh, you know, it's just free-flowing. We just go for it, man. No question and answer type stiff thing with two people in a chair. We just, we go wherever we go, man. It's like the Kerouac of conversation. It's uh, just fucking, yeah, let's do this. It's a fucking jazz trumpet solo. Um, and, uh, yes, I talked today to with uh, Francis... Francis... <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Francis. I became a villain from uh, like uh, some weird 40s movie. Francis. I went into my uh, accidental Peter Laurie, which will be the title of my biography. Um, Francis Yasmin Motawala is my guest today, and uh, she works with Peace Action West, which is an anti-nuclear and war grassroots organization. We have a really great conversation. And I do something in this conversation and I really don't like myself for it. I mean to say Chris Hedges, and I say Mike Hedges, and I don't know why I keep doing this with Chris, but, you know, I'm not good with names. I have nieces and nephews who I have no fucking idea what their names are. That's what I always noticed, too. Like, people get mad at me because, like, I'm, I would consider myself a, a pretty big Cubs, Chicago Cubs fan, and people are like, you don't know the fucking third baseman's name? And then... 
stats. It's like, I can barely remember my fucking phone number, and I have relatives whose names I don't know. And sometimes I see their faces, and I'm a little like, I might be DNA connected to you. I don't know. Um, th th my brain isn't always... The sh I'm not Noam Chomsky. I'm a guy who's abused a lot of drugs. I've drank. Uh, I've probably bonked my head on a few things I'll, in these states of alteredness. So, you know, sometimes I'm going to drop a name, and I just ask you to forgive me, okay? I'm not a scientist. I'm a guy who talks to people and hopefully sometimes says things funny. Um, but I, you know, I do, I think I do a good job at it. I do a good job at it. Um, it, it it's, this is something that's kind of, there's a couple things irking me lately. One is, it's really weird to me that you can't, and I, I'm like Johnny fucking left wing. Like, you don't, there's not a lot of people as far left as I am. And it's like, and if you criticize Obama, people fucking freeze. Like, I've seen it a number of times. People, their brains lock. It's like he can't, it's like he's the Pope or something. It's like we can't point out that he's done some pretty fucking awful things. And I posted this article, there's an article in counterpunch.org about 10 myths about Obama. Nobody liked it. If, it, if I would have posted something about Romney, everybody would have been like, yeah, fuck that guy. But, you know, uh, there's the, we gotta fucking criticize our politicians and we gotta keep a watch on them. Otherwise, they fucking run all over you. I don't know if you notice that, but they, they uh, get a little fucking uh, power happy and they fucking do what they want. And it's like everyone thinks that Obama is this uh, fucking Jesus Christ on fucking roller skates. And, uh, you know, he's a fucking corporate chill like all the others. Uh, so we gotta watch him and keep these fucking prickos in line. But you can't, but you, but you, you know, how can, you, it just, it, it drives me nuts. And there's, here's another thing that drives me nuts, and it's not political, uh, though I would like to talk about GMOs, that whole Monsanto thing, once again, has me pissed because, uh, you know, did you know they invented Agent Orange, and now they make your corn, and that, that their corn causes cancer? Kind of not, it's kind of, not a, not a fucking, uh, you know, at least they're keeping the cancer in their business. You know, they got that cancer through line. But, uh, I, I was at, I was in court today because murder was the case that they gave me. Uh, and it's a traffic ticket. Anyway, I'm in line at the cashier afterwards. There's a dude in front of me who's listening to shitty hip hop music. And I mean the real bad kind where it's all like, ass, tits, and tits, and ass, and tits, boop, like weird techno. I don't know what the fuck, where they get these sounds from. It's like somebody fucking, like, shot a computer, <laughs> and it would, like, anyway, it doesn't matter. And he's listening to it on his phone speaker. Like, like I want to fucking listen to this. I've already had a shitty day. I have to pay $300 and go to traffic school. And then the schmuck behind me is watching ESPN on his phone with the speaker on. And I'm like, what happened to like where in the fucking world of social etiquette is has this become <laughs> acceptable like you're just like yeah fuck you and uh your peace of mind i'm gonna distract you with my fucking loud sports guy talking but which is another thing is like i don't always can there be just like do all sports guys have to talk like this do they have to talk like everything can can one sports guy just be like hey uh, uh michael jordan uh 
He was real good. <laughs> Can we just have a like real cool mellow sports guy? Wouldn't that be, you know, Kobe Bryant going down the court? Ooh yeah, slam dunk. Way to go, Kobe Bryant. <laughs> but it's like what? And I don't like. Is it like? Am I getting old? Like, am I just becoming an old curmudgeonly guy where everything drives me nuts? Like, there's a kid with his, he's eating dinner with his baseball cap on. In my day, you didn't do that. You took your hat off at the table and then you fucked a turkey. That's what we did in my day. It's like, am I becoming that guy? You in my day, you would bow to a lady before you waved your penis at her. That's what we did in my day. It's just, <laughs> I just like, I feel like. I feel like we're just getting worse as a society. We're just becoming just so selfish and assholey. I like, I would never subject people to the music I like. But, the, the, you know, I like, I've got good taste because, you know, I listen to artsy jazz music. But it's just like, it's just, it's, and it's always people who have, people who blare their music loudly always have the worst taste in music. Have you noticed that? You never hear like a guy blasting something in a car and you're like, hey, fucking right, that tune. <laughs> it's, it's I once, and this is a true story, I once saw a guy uh, next to me, he was blaring, don't cry out loud, just keep it, I mean, blaring it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, are you... What like what happened in your day that this this is the song that's gonna get my day back? <laughs> oh, I just can't wait to get my car, light up a stogie, and blah, don't cry out loud. <laughs> and like a totally cool looking dude. It was like, what happened? What happened in your world, fella? Um. So yeah, I'm gonna get on to the uh, episode there. With uh, Francis Yasmin Mutawala. Uh, She's real cool and she sounds real good in your ear holes. She's got a nice voice, so enjoy. Call me Perlman, Francis Perlman. <laughs> uh, that's a, quite the fancy name, Francis Yasmin Mutawala. Mm -hmm. you, uh, you're somebody with a name like that. Matt DeWire, you get a name like that, and it's just sort of like, I don't know, what do you want, your car washed? That's kind of what, <laughs> that's what Matt DeWire says to the world. Um, now, let us, uh, it, what is it, you work for uh, uh, P Peace in Action, correct? Peace in Action? Uh, it's Peace Action West. Peace Action West, and that was, uh, originally was... Sane, S-A-N-E, right? Which is actually how you spell Correct. it. I don't know why. I... <laughs> yeah. But when you, when you see it in use with your, your organization, it's big block letters, so it, it's, it makes it seem like I should spell it out. <laughs> and, right. A lot of people get mistaken that it's a, an acronym for something, uh, when it really it simply comes down to the opposite of mutually assured destruction, um, mad... Being the, uh, I mean, I think still sort of a prevailing attitude when it comes to nuclear weapons. Um, and it began yeah, as the Committee for a Sane Nuclear Policy, um, which pretty much sums it up. Yeah, and it's <laughs> not, uh, and, and now uh, Peace Action West is it, it's not solely a nuclear, I didn't want to say it like George W. Bush there. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's pretty amazing we can have a president that really just can't even speak. 
Only in America could someone with stupidity reach, reach great heights. <laughs> and, and so many people not notice that, you know, that, uh, yeah, as well. I mean, I, I grew up in a family that had very pretty some pretty bad grammar, and if you you'll probably notice some of it come out of me <laughs> during this conversation. It's but it's like I, that's how I thought it was pronounced for many years, and and nobody in my uh, elementary schools ever corrected me. <laughs> but um, it's the interesting thing to me is that I mean, new, you hear about nuclear. <laughs> Uh, I'm just making, I'm like really taking my time when I'm saying it. Um, you hear a lot about it with like Iran and that there's always these threats, but it doesn't feel, maybe I'm crazy, but like it doesn't feel like the scare it was back when we were in like the Cold War era or certainly during the Kennedy administration with the Bay of, uh, not the Bay of Pigs, uh, Oh, Christ, what was that thing called? The, uh, the they had the big Cuban Missile Crisis. Thank you. And I, I yeah. had Cuba right. And I was in the right ballpark. <laughs> but like, but it is still, is it not like still an incredibly huge threat? We just for some reason we don't pay. What? What? Why is we that? Mm -hmm. Well, um, you know, I think, um, well, we don't do um, duck and cover drills anymore. So it's I think a little bit more out of sight, out of mind. Um, where back in the day, and actually, you know, one thing I've realized since um, talking to people is that, you know, m many people, um, a, a generation ahead of me, uh, all experience those duck and cover drills. And so they do have this still ingrained fear um, and, and knowledge um, that, that that risk exists. I think when they stopped doing that, it became a little bit less in uh, everyone's individual uh, awareness and consciousness. Um, but I think, well, but it's good to, to recognize, yeah, we still have thousands of nuclear weapons. If you really, and, and so does the Soviet, uh, the, the Soviet, um, so does Russia, so do, you know, and China's got a couple hundred, few hundred. Um, but yeah, that there are literally nuclear weapons pointed at Los Angeles right now um, that could hypothetically go off. We just really, you know, um, don't think about it in our daily lives. I also think it's... Um, you know, uh, the big challenge is that people don't think about the enormous cost um, to upkeep those nuclear weapons, um, the factories, the uh, storage, the maintenance, the life extension programs. Um, I saw there's a um, an estimate. A journalist had uh, done a study trying to trying to piece together how much the complex really does cost every year. Uh, it was a challenging study because so much of it is divided into different programs and different. Uh, um, Areas and the Energy Committee and whatnot, uh, but he came up with uh, fifty-two point four billion dollars um, a year a to upkeep year. the stockpile. Yeah, fifty-two point four billion a year uh, upkeeping the, the the stockpile, and that was even a few years ago. When, um, um, and and yeah, so you know that that sadly I, I believe should be on the forefront of people's minds, especially as we're making these um, important decisions. Congress is uh, dealing with the. Budget sequestration and and uh, try to find some places to cut budgets, um, and I, I think that's a great place to <laughs> have a serious discussion about well, what we can't afford. We could have a few less uh, nuclear bombs, or we could uh, feed some people. So why don't you uh, really think about that? Because uh, you're obviously not pro-American if you want to feed some needy people. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And like, but like, so 
how many of how many warheads is that what do we still call them warheads or am I stuck in like some eighties movie? Yeah, um, no, I think warheads is still still used. How many how many do we have? And it's um, it, and mm-hmm. is it also it's safe to say that it probably costs millions and millions of dollars a year to maintain just one of these motherfuckers? <laughs> um, well, let's see. Um, I don't know that I can give the exact answer as far as the ones that are... Um, well, so the New START Treaty with Russia, uh, which passed at the end of 2010, um, was uh, the largest reduction of nuclear weapons in about 20 years. And it... Um, brought U.S. and Russian stockpiles. U.S. and Russia agreed to reduce by 30% of our, our deployed um, strategic nuclear weapons, uh, bringing our deployed nuclear weapons down to uh, 1,550. Uh, was the the deal they agreed on. Um, that doesn't include nuclear weapons that are not deployed, that are sitting in storage somewhere, that are. Um, um, some are, they actually have a process called zombification, um, where they're sort of out of out of the hair trigger alert kind of mode. Um, they're maybe sitting in storage somewhere uh, ready to be taken, dismantled or taken apart, but they haven't actually been dismantled or taken apart yet. So there's still some, um, I mean, both both the, the possibility that they could become active again if, if, if we so chose to, um, but are also, you know, cost in know, as far as maintenance, security. Um, but you know, there's also then just battles over whether or not, you know, we need to um, modernize different nuclear weapons. Um, whether there are attempts to build new nuclear weapons uh, production facilities capabilities, and I think that's sort of um, I like to call it the great American hypocrisy. Um, is that we are going to continue to to invest in the research and development of new nuclear weapons or in the life extension programs and the um, modernizations, um, but then tell other countries they can't have them and that nuclear weapons are very bad. <laughs> we, and, you know. and uh, I mean, I know it's obvious, but uh, we're the only people who've ever used them. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. uh, we've done, and yet we're always parade around like we're these great people, but we've uh, slaughtered gazillions of innocent people with nuclear weapons and then mm-hmm. you know i mean this week's thanksgiving uh we also slaughtered some native americans let's not forget that great thing <laughs> but That's now true. yeah i mean what is the logic behind is it just that let showing our dick to the world that we got to keep making new web missiles because it's like we can blow up the world a gazillion times like why why would we keep needing to blow up the world one more time? It's like, mm-hmm. that seems absurd. And then it's also, it seems like we have all these things and these these warheads in the world. And a, a, like you said, we, we dismantle them or whatever. But it's like, that nuclear goo has got a, that's a scientific term, nuclear goo. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, that has to go somewhere. Where does that go? I think I just gave you two really long sort of <laughs> questions in a row in totally different directions totally um, i'm a professional thank you yeah. <laughs> um so i mean uh, i'll tackle the se- second element of that first um there's a really great documentary called um, um building bombs um 
believe this is the one I'm thinking of, that um, that goes back to the, um, the initial building of some of the nuclear weapons plants, the Savannah River plant, and uh, um, and it set, goes back to the, I believe, uh, oh, I'm going to... I'm going to leave out the dates to make sure I'm, I'm not I'm wrong. I'm terrible with dates. So um, but but you see the uh, the build of, the building of the Savannah um, uh, River plant where they're manufacturing nuclear bombs and plutonium pits, and and you see a lot of different layers of it. Um, and one is like, what do you do with the the the, the waste? Um, and what do you and and then back then they actually there's video of them just putting it in cardboard boxes and burying it in the ground. And, you know, so there's obviously the environmental impacts. I don't think that's a question for, that they've ever solved. So right? for real, they just like, that's like, they just toss it in a cardboard box. And yeah. It's like, if they did yeah. it in the back of Todd Aiken's uh, backyard, that would be pretty, like, then I'd be like, yeah, that's good. We can do this. Yeah. <laughs> and if the environment were were containable and fi- finite, um but sadly, you know, you know, it's um, yeah. I think it's a question that that we've never gotten a great answer to, and uh, that that alone is a huge risk. Um, and and then, and then I guess the question of like, so why do we do it when there is so much risk? Um, well, it's it, it's hard not to think that there's um, been a profit motive beyond it, and that people who who obviously uh, and and. and you know, I'd like to think that many people who who work in that industry are uh, are not just totally um, self-serving, but they they really do have a belief that that it's good for national security. That you know, having that kind of big stockpile keeps us safe. I mean, I think that's the general perception and why many, many much of the American public accepts um, the cost and the the risk. Um, and and you know, even um, you know, I I think it's the uh, Robert Gates in 2009, in January 2009, had a great uh, or an article in Foreign Affairs Journal that talked about how his desired view of what the Pentagon would look like. And this was um, right before President Obama kept him on to be um, Secretary of Defense. And he makes the case, which I think um, lays out kind of the, the neocon philosophy, is is that um, that maintaining U.S. nuclear hegemony is necessary for us to maintain our security um, and that America has proven to be the peacekeeping nation and and um, and if we don't um, continue to maintain that dominance someone something bad's gonna happen bad I mean, people are gonna win right yeah the, I mean for starters I mean I think we can both agree that us being the peacekeeping nation which is definitely what we like to uh, spin but is a load of Bullshit. Hard to swallow. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to swallow. I mean, sure. there's some jackasses in Florida, not to make that state awful, but it's pretty awful. <laughs> but I mean, there are people who buy into that. And as well as I can't help but think, like, while you're saying that, the whole thing about, like, well, it keeps us safe. It's like, well, we have all these nuclear bombs. It seems like it. that's why we're able to dance around in the Middle East and, like, invade all these countries and meddle in their business because it's like it's sort of like the the nerdy dopey kid you know picking fights with the big guys because he knows he's got a fucking shotgun in his in his car or something. right who's gonna mess with like it, yeah i mean it's like it's 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 bullshit <laughs> and people are starting to i think recognize that you know they have become more of a liability than an asset 
um, um, you've got um, um, blanking out on his name, but the four horsemen. Um, so it's uh, ex-secretary Sam Nunn, um, ex uh, another secretary of state. I'd like um, that you refer to them as the four horsemen. <laughs> Is that like they branded themselves? Uh, and Henry it, Kissinger, yeah. Oh, another great. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, and it is. It's interesting. It's it's this bipartisan group of uh, of now very old men who um, you know had even helped create this the situation we're in, who are now um, you know have have uh, come out strong that we need to start working with other nations we need cooperatively to get rid of nuclear weapons. We need to reduce the threat of nuclear weapons. We need to fund the cleanup of and the securing of loose nuclear material. Uh, and that's, you know, one thing that President Obama has actually really uh, taken some some great strides in, uh, securing loose nuclear material uh, around the world. I'm, I'm going to guess that you're a Rachel Maddow fan, and you've probably seen her, her coverage of some of the most harrowing um, elements of, of that. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's good that people of both parties do, do get it and they're agreeing, but, you know, there still is this, um, this other voice, um, that's coming generally from, from the extreme right, um, that says we need to continue that, um, system to keep, to be safe, you know? Right. And, and I think, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, keep going. I didn't mean well, I was going to say, and then I hear it echoed on the street, uh, just today when I was out, um, canvassing, I do street canvassing, talking to people about these issues on the street level. Um, you know, I just had a, a person tell me today um, that without our nuclear weapons, we would not, um, we would lose our power and that we would be invaded by um, Muslims. So there's a lot of people who really believe that that the two are connected and that without, uh, you know, it's an excuse. I mean, I think, you know, we've seen the, the fear mongering and the 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 case being made that a lot of, and a lot of people believe it. So. I it's 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 perplexing to me how vilified the Muslim religion has been. And I mean, sure, there's and people are like they're fanatics. It's like uh, watch the Seven Hundreds Club. <laughs> it's <laughs> they're mm-hmm. fanatics as well. It's like mm-hmm. it's like that's an element in. Almost well. Of course, you never hear about lunatic, uh, fanatic uh, Buddhists blowing up anything or shooting an abortion. <laughs> but I, it's, it's. I don't. I wish I could. I. It just perplexes me. But now it's like they are these evil, the evil doers, and it's like I've. I have good friends who are Muslims, and probably some of the jazz music you listen to is created by Muslims and some hip hop. It's like. They're not all trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. But, and I wonder if, because we were talking about how the, 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 the nuclear scare of the like 50s and 60s, of how that was such a looming thing, and it seems like almost like now terrorism is, this, is that sort of hovering, like, keep everybody afraid. Would you agree with that, or am I just rambling? No, I mean I think that it, it, I totally agree. I think it has become the the, the boogeyman, <laughs> um, and they've always, you know, there's always been someone there to validate the spending of, of money to to protect against it. Um, obviously, the, the war on terror since since 9/11, our uh, defense budget has doubled. Um, 
in sort of in a way where they thought just throwing throwing money at, at these problems could uh, protect us. But then again, the strategies that we've seen them employ and um, just haven't been successful at actually alleviating the real root problems. Um, one thing I, I think is really great about our organization, about Peace Action West, is um, we think proactively on what changes, what what are the alternatives to war, uh, to sending ground troops in to do counterterrorism. Um, and that's everything from... Um, uh, you know the kinds of diplomacy that could happen on regional levels, on international, you know, across the globe. Um, we are part of a coalition that's worked on modernizing foreign assistance and how we do give money to do development in the world. Um, so it's actually, you know, lifting the people out of poverty who would otherwise uh, hypothetically pick up a gun and fight for the Taliban because they're going to pay them to go do it. Um, you know, f- providing real opportunities for people, for education, for development, for for growth. Um, I find it interesting that, you know, I think it was in General Petraeus's um, counterterrorism manual. Like um, initially, uh, he talked about how 80% of the resources that we invest uh, spend on the war in Afghanistan should be going to development, and um, and only 20% to the military footprint. But and President Obama uh, echoed that back then, but all along the reality of it has been 90-10 the other way. Because, um, you know, using ground troops is incredibly costly. Um, and didn't I saw, <laughs> I didn't, I, but I saw, it didn't, I, I think I saw a quote on your uh, website today that said there's, they estimate that there's only about 100 Al-Qaeda members still in Afghanistan, and we still have thousands upon thousands of troops. Mm, yep. Yeah, I've heard uh, um, that for for years now. Um, I feel like a couple years ago, it was down to 50. I think maybe some have joined them, but yeah. I also, uh, I read recently uh, that they've discovered, I forget what the mineral is called, but it is a major component in making batteries, for particularly for cell phones and computers, and that is another estimate of why we're probably still dicking around in Afghanistan. Mm. Because once again, it always goes back to uh, it goes back to profit, which I think, I mean, I really think our our country, sadly, is more concerned with assisting corporations make profits than, you know, the common good of humanity or however. Uh, right. Well, and one of the one of the I think interesting things about it is that sort of the, the how our country has developed um, that. We have privatized defense industry um, in in the, um, you know, because of course I mean, it would be communist to, to actually uh, have the, the government own own the weapons manufacturers. Um, but all along, <laughs> even from the beginning, uh, you know, the first nuclear weapons plants were owned by General Electric, and there's been various you know, cor- corporate corporations working with the government, which, you know, as much as I, I wouldn't um, necessarily like it all done in my name, but I mean, well, let me, let me rephrase that. Um, so when I'm on the street talking to people, I need to use a, you know, clever little catchphrase to get them to stop and talk to me and to define the issue. Um, and, and occasionally for fun, I'll use the grab, um, help nationalize the defense industry so we can all be rich. 
and it's it's uh you know it gets stops um and kind of helps people recognize wait a minute yeah it, it's true like um and of course there's disturbing facts that you know if you look at the CEOs of these defense corporations and their salaries um put them in the top 0.01% and i think that's important to recognize um Raytheon uh, has been rallying against the the sequestration cuts, saying that they can't afford it and they'd have to lay off all these workers. Um, but you've never heard the CEO, you know, say that he would take a pay cut or not get his his Christmas bonus to to help um, our country at a time of need. I'm, I've always been perplexed about that. With uh, just, I mean, that seemed, and it, it my uh, stepfather worked for United Airlines for a thousand years and he had to take a cut on his pension and I was like how about that motherfucker who's making 20 million a year take a hit for the team it's like they 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 always play this sort of hey we're a team except for me I'll just kind of be this dictator but everybody else get on board with my bullshit <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, I think it's in the in Europe in certain countries they've got like a cap on but executive pay can only be 40 times higher than the um, Willis Turner or some, something like that. I mean, I feel like that would be a great system to implement. Well, the more and more I read about what they do in Europe, like, they don't have GMOs and they don't, <laughs> there's no, like, hormones in their chicken and beef. I'm like, and, and things like that and healthcare. And, but yet, we still believe we're the best country in the world. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> right. I think it was uh, Paul Ryan, I don't know if you heard, during the. Um, I'm a big fan of his. One of the debates. <laughs> I mean, I'm a big fan of his slow demise of a rare, uncurable disease. <laughs> yeah, right. He, he actually referred, I think, America as having the best health care in the world. Um, if you're a millionaire, yes. we. You know, from where he sits, we do. Mm -hmm. I read a statistic re recently in a, uh, that roughly like eight, it is estimated that possibly 800 million, eight, I'm like... 800 people die within a month because of no health care. It might even be higher mm. than that. Right, right. Well, and he also he also declared um, assumptively that we all believe in peace through strength. And I uh, I feel like that's such a, you know, it sort of gets to the core of the issue. Another grab that I've used is, uh, you know, help create strength through peace, um, which you know, I mean, it comes down to the big debate. It's like, well, what's, what is really keeping us safe? Um, I would, you know, argue that our current foreign policies are bankrupting us, and that's not going to keep us safe when, when we, you know, accidentally fall off a fiscal cliff. Um, and so I think that's the conversation that, I mean, the country is having right now as we deal with these budget sequestration uh, battles. Um, it's something uh, it's been encouraging to hear um, Barney Frank come out strong, um, uh, hopefully speaking for the whole Democratic Party, <laughs> that uh, that they won't accept a, a deal that doesn't have significant cuts to the to the Pentagon budget. Um, and uh, I mean, I guess we're gonna we're gonna see in the next few weeks um, how how this plays out. Um, you know, hopefully the American people don't get too distracted by the holidays to to pay attention. I kind of like you know the lame duck session where all the really fun stuff happens. Um. Yeah, but that makes me a political geek. <laughs> like no, I'm, uh, I'm I'm with you. But it, it's interesting because when you say like uh, the, the American people are talking, 
uh, and I, you're out there canvassing and you're out there probably interacting with uh, the, the the people more than I am because I like to hide in my apartment. And <laughs> but, uh, but do you feel like there is a frustration going on or, or do you feel like there's still this sort of like distracted nature? Because I view America as a very... Uh, distracted group of people who are more cons like I sat at a restaurant yesterday and overheard this conversation of this family that would make you want to tear your face off. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> and I was like, it was there, and not that I don't mean this to sound arrogant, but it seemed like it was just all about like you know Brad Pitt this and John Travolta that, and I'm like, did you want to communicate about anything going on in your life, or are you going to talk about this? These, it's just like I was like, and uh, and then I've, I've been reading this Mike Hedges book, uh, Empire of Illusion. I'm not sure if you know that, but it's like, and it all is about how we have progressively become more distracted, uh, and we've become more celebrity obsessed, and like American society has become the Plato shadows in the cave and like one it said that we're just like yeah. and i i can't disagree i mean i that's all i see and, and the more i think about it and observe that it's anyway back to that well, yeah well i think there's 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 different layers and different i mean i mean i think it probably comes down to percentages yeah there's a significant percentage of people who don't pay any attention to to politics to what's going on they don't they really don't believe that impacts their lives whatsoever. Um, but then, you know, there's also, um, as after the war, the war in Vietnam, where the neocons came up with the term um, Vietnam syndrome, and it was obviously an intentional, how do we get America to forget about, to not pay attention to us wanting to um, use their children as cannon fodder to, you know, police the world. Um, so there was a significant, the war in Vietnam, you know, really the momentum shifted when the American public started to really feel, to, to get out in the streets and to, to protest or to take action. Um, and so that was a threat to to those who might want to see us um, do, do more of that. Um, so I think that the, a lot of time and energy was spent, um, you know, getting people distracted, uh, creating a consumerist culture. I mean, obviously, uh, you've probably seen um, Michael Moore's Capitalism, A Love Story. That really paints a really nice picture of, of how that all happened. Uh, but then there's also uh, a lot of people, a large percentage of people, I think, are just too busy to pay attention, or they feel overwhelmed with all the struggle of just making ends meet and, you know, working, living, taking care of their families and kids. Um, and when, you know, they don't really want to use their extra time to um, you know, to pay attention to really depressing news uh, um, about what's going on. Um, but a lot, I think all those people really do when you stop and have an honest conversation with them, um, they get, they are frustrated. They know something's wrong. They don't always necessarily connect all of the dots. Um, but I think that many, many Americans, um, and I'd actually probably even say more than just the distracteds, um, do know that something is wrong, do know that money is affecting politics way too much. Um, you know, and, and people of both parties, I think, recognize that, um, you know, the, the corporate um, stronghold on politics is, is, you know, not benefiting the American people. Um, I think people, 
uh, get, can uh, argue about you know which what strategies um, are, are correct, but I think a lot of people do share share the sense that something is wrong. They know there's a problem. They um, and and they get that that uh, you know it's currently unsustainable or the direction we're headed. Yeah, I mean, this whole Mike Hedges books book uh, kind of he it 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 is under the assumption that. Because of our corporatization of of universities and and which now that they're becoming more of a trade school and all blah blah blah, that we might when these things hit ahead, we might not be prepared to deal with it, which is pretty i'm i I'm terrified that we are headed down a very dark road, and by the time we do pull our heads out of our asses, it's gonna be close to too late. <laughs> I mean, especially like environmentally, I'm pretty on edge about that to the point where I don't, where I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want to have kids because, and but the good news is nobody wants to have kids with me, so it's going to work out. <laughs> Win -win situation. <laughs> um, I, I completely share uh, that that same fear and question about bringing life into this world that is. Uh, could be dealing with, we could all be dealing with very significant crises in the very, you know, uh, near future. Uh, I guess what gives me hope, though, is that there's also another percentage of the people who who are involved, who are, um, who do take action, who are involved with all sorts of different uh, organizations, um, movements, who do call their members of Congress. Um, I think that uh, you know, we've actually seen more and more, more people get start to get engaged. Obviously, at election time is when people start to really pay attention. Um, but I guess then that that that's the challenge of organizing. How do we get the people who start paying attention at election time to stay involved? Um, um, so yeah, how well, does I mean, how does one keep because uh, I are uh, politicians accountable? Because I I believe your uh, organization as well claims that they try to to keep politicians and people accountable. Am I incorrect in that? That's right. Um, you're correct, and that's something that I've personally learned. I've learned a lot by working with, uh, for Peace Action West, um, and one thing, has, and a lot of it has been about, about organizing, and what is, a lot of people don't understand what grassroots organizing is and what separates it from just charity work or uh, what separates us from like a service organization, and that's the, the effort to build durable power. Um, we don't. We actually don't focus on um, uh, protests much anymore, because you know protests come and go. But um, and so if instead, um, we engage our member base. We actually uh, through grassroots organizing, uh, through one-on-one -on -one conversations, um, people join us as new members. And a member of Peace Action West is then uh, both investing in us financially and contributing what they can to support our work. Um, and then staying invested with their mind and with their voice. And we make it really easy for people to take ongoing political actions. Uh, every year our organization publishes a congressional scorecard, which covers what Congress voted on for the prior year and how everyone voted. You can uh, run a little report on your congressperson from our website um, to really see the breakdown of their votes and learn more about that. Um, and so I think we do. We, we strive to engage the public in in a, a unique way uh, that keeps them involved, um, because um, we have a political team that meets with members of Congress, but 
the real reason those members of Congress listen to us is because we've been mobilizing their voters, and their voters are contacting them in the thousands uh, at key moments, and that's what gives us the leverage. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's definitely ongoing work. Uh, what gives me hope, I guess, is knowing that people have been doing that work for a long time. Even before I became, <laughs> joined the organization, um, people have been doing this work. And, uh, and you know, while, while, you know, the organization wasn't able to prevent war, uh, the Bush administration from um, going to war in Iraq, um, during those same years, um, Bush it one or Bush two? Uh, Bush two, W. Yeah, I uh, remember I wrote <laughs> Senator Barbara Boxer, and she, uh, I got a letter back that was pretty much like saying, and I mean, she's a Democrat, and she was pretty much saying like, "Sorry, we're gonna do it anyway." And I was like, I wrote her back. I was like, "Sorry, you won't be getting voted for by me." Mm-hmm, <laughs> See, there was mm-hmm. that improper grammar I spoke of earlier. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the, the the you know the powerful thing is that during those same years, you know, five different uh, attempts at um, new nuclear weapons were stopped because of the organizing and efforts of organizations like Peace Action West and our coalition partners, um, we actually had people on the ground in 2008 um, going door-to-door in the district of uh, Congresswoman Ellen Tauscher, a Democrat who chaired the committee which controlled the funding um, that Bush was trying to lock in for a 20-year modernization plan, a complex transformation, and um, also the Reliable Replacement Warhead Act. Um, But, you know, Hundreds of voters calling Representative Tauscher led her office to call our office, and they went in for meetings, and multiple meetings. She ended up uh, flipping her position on that and agreeing that with us that we need to st- start working to get rid of nuclear weapons, stop putting more money into it, and find find a, um, that better path. Now, she ended th- up uh, going on to win her re-election, and then um, Obama saw the great stand she took on nuclear weapons, and she's then served in the State Department on these very issues. So, I mean, that's the impact um, of, I think, grassroots organizing can have. It's hard to really see it all at once because it's ongoing. A lot of it happens behind the scenes, um, and, and a lot of it happens through those. I mean, the name of the organization, I think, is great, that it combines peace and action. And knowing, you know, you know, praying for peace is great, meditating for peace is awesome. <laughs> Uh, and liking something on Facebook for peace. It's, Don't leave that one out. That's a big one. Exactly. Or retweeting for peace. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, what what kind of ongoing actions can we do? Because that's, I think, what's what, you know, we need to keep building. We need to be tireless in it. We can't give up, um, you know, when things don't go our way. Um, we got to keep at it. But it's so. pretty, I mean, it's it speaks to the level of the work you're doing that you get meetings with i mean that politicians call you to meet with you because for a, a lack of a more articulate phrase you're fucking with their shit because <laughs> i mean because i i honestly see it maybe you're a bit more of an optimist or a positive person than me i try but where i see it is is like that uh politician that uh, i'm sorry i forgot her name already the the, the woman Ellen that, Ta- representative tauscher tauscher great last name by the way but like where she's more like Oh shit! They're gonna fuck up my re-election. That they've caused so much awareness. That's how I see that. I don't see politicians reacting or on the behalf of like the good of people. I think when they get called out and there's enough people rallying against them, then they're like, "Oh shit! I got to do this." Yeah. That's how I see it. Maybe. Yeah. 
Yeah, so um and I and I and I'll throw out the disclaimer that I'm um I'm the Los Angeles Canvas director uh in the organization. So I'm not on the political team um and but I have utmost respect for our political team and I've been doing this work for four and a half years because um they are incredibly thoughtful, strategic and and are exploring all different ways to influence congresspeople, um, right? Because it comes down to um, what what would influence a congressperson, and we use we combine various strategies, um, and we're we're very aware that we have allies in Congress that want to work with us on these issues and are willing to, and then we've got people who probably are never going to work with us, and then we've got you know the persuadables, hopefully in the middle, um, and so harnessing that grassroots pressure. Getting the voters to to move them is, is um, why we spend so much time uh, and invest in that grassroots strategy. Uh, but we also have a media strategy and that works on, you know, getting op-eds in Congress people's hometown newspapers uh, from hypothetically a better spokesperson. Um, what comes to mind is uh, around the New Start Treaty deb- um, uh, in the lead up to the New Start Treaty. Um, you know, we partnered with a, a retired Republican general. Um, in Arizona to to call out Senators McCain and Kyle on on why they should s- support that treaty. So we you know they're very strategic in uh, in figuring out different ways to influence. Um, the organization was founded you know um, when a small group of people back in the 50s took out an ad in the New York Times, um, just asking the American people to to speak up to the world leaders that were about to meet in Geneva, and and that's you know. Um, so different, you know, an ad like that using the media can can get that kind of grassroots pre- grassroots pressure. Um, you know, we live in a time when um, even in in a blog post, if you put a, a members of Congress name, that's going to come up in their office, and they're going to see that. Um, really, if I Google, Google so, search, Google Analytics, or whatever. Uh, yeah, Congress people are very aware every time their name is mentioned in the media. So and Paul Ryan saw some that of. Image. The- Paul Ryan saw my tweets about him because they weren't nice. I'm gonna, I, yeah, I'm gonna, so one of his staffers probably did. Uh, they were you pretty know. funny, so I hope they show them to him. <laughs> real pro, real pro, Paul Ryan. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, I think it's weird because the only it seems like the media pays attention only to the grassroots lunatics like uh, the Tea Party, who aren't even really a grassroots organization. If they, that should be mentioned, because they were funded by the Koch brothers, who I hope uh, die a flamey death of pain. <laughs> but I mean, but it's interesting that the you, the the positive more. You guys don't get as much press as the Tea Party, and maybe that's because they got that Coke millions behind them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and a lot of the work that we're doing is behind the str- behind the scenes. Um, but when you look at uh, you know, the new the victory over the over the New Start treaty getting passed, that was at one of the times when uh, when the Tea Party seemed the loudest uh, back in 2010, and groups were organizing against it. The Heritage Foundation was organizing against it. The Tea Party was rallying against it, and even uh, some of the leadership of the Republican Party in Congress was was uh, um, speaking out and trying to trying to derail that treaty, um, and our organization 
is the lead organizers of a coalition, which is another one of the strategies that we employ. Uh, we lead a coalition um, that currently has over 150 different groups in our campaign for a nuclear weapons-free world um, that we led in targeted grassroots phone banking, uh, so calling voters in places like Utah and Tennessee and patching them directly through to their senators and asking them to take that action, call that member of Congress. Um, and that we did that in the lead-up to both the committee vote and the final vote, um, and you can see the impact. Um, uh, we knew Richard Luger, one Republican in the committee, was going to come on board because uh, he was with us on those issues. He's, he's always pretty uh, more moderate on those issues. But we had two other Republicans come on board in the committee vote that, that uh, you know, nervously, but they were feeling that grassroots pressure, and we, we know that. Um, but, you know, of course, that doesn't necessarily, you know, all those calls, all that phone banking effort um, doesn't, is never going to be in the, in the news um, until now that it's on your podcast <laughs> and the world can know right. our strength. And I think a lot of these uh, means that you, you go about influencing these uh, Congress people, politics guys, but have you ever thought of, like, kidnapping somebody's daughter, sending uh, dead animals in the mail? I'm just saying there are other ways to uh, – maybe it's not peaceful, but intimidation is not technically violence. I'm just throwing it out there. Indeed. Well, we could talk to our political director about that. I do think that as an organization, though, we uh, – you know, that strives to really promote principles of peace and diplomacy – um, we're an organization that doesn't use inflammatory tactics. And so, you know, I'm sure there's people who will criticize um, us for not being extreme enough or um, not using certain tactics that they think are better. Um, and I think, you know, part of our success um, is due to our political team's discipline of, of being very focused, um, not spreading ourselves too thin, not trying to tackle every issue, but to really develop campaign plans that that um, have long-term impacts that really, um, and you know, can, can make an impact on policies over, over the long term. And, you know, they're not always the most glamorous or the most news, news attention-getting uh, tactics. Um, but what we've shown over time and what we see over time is that the strategies we're, we're using work that we can, you know, um, that, uh, you know, they can impact policy. I mean, back, you know, and the Internet has given us the power to take that mobilizing um, and make it rapid response. Um, we caught a, a billion dollars that was a... Uh, uh, being slipped into the stimulus plan during those initial debates, um, um, that you know, two days and twenty-one thousand emails from our member base, um, that got cut out, <laughs> and and so I feel like um, there's a lot of different. Uh, I mean, there's obviously a lot of problems. There's a lot of issues. There's uh, members of Congress. Um, are under a lot of pressure and a lot of pressures to, um, um, and uh, you know, but I, I guess I, I haven't um, given up faith that, that they can be influenced. Right. I don't think it's good to lump them all together and say they're all too corrupt. I mean, uh, uh, we also, you know, we have an electoral strategy that works on getting better people into office, which is another way that we can be proactive about changing things by getting, you know, helping um, get better candidates into office. So. So there's um, never no peace action west scotch golf parties. <laughs> no getting uh, the politicians hookers. I'm just saying, yeah. play their game. 
Um, I think it, yeah, the, versus the wine and dining, we do take a, a more um, strategic approach where, you know, our, uh, as I convey to potential members on the street, you know, our, our, our political team, um, you know, is not, are not high-paid, high, high, paid, uh, high um, you know, lobbyists that are going in and whining and dining members of Congress, um, but we... Uh, We've, we provide Congress people information, footnoted information, detailed information that has made us a trusted source of information for many Congress people who then, who then uh, do want to work with us on these issues. Uh, for instance, Representative Raul Grijalva, um, the chair of the Progressive Caucus and uh, representative from Arizona, sought us out to help um, create legislation um, around um, the, the arms, it is the Arms Sales Responsibility Act. Uh, that could bring more oversight and regulation to who our country and who private companies are selling weapons to. We just um, sold so not... $6 billion to Saudi Arabia last <laughs> week. So, yeah, it's, and it's, uh, you know, starting to get these weapons out of the hands of, like, human rights violators and, and, and dictators. And, and yeah, a, a good step in the right direction when I think it comes to arms control and creating um, a more peaceful future for, for the world. And uh, and I, I think I read, this is the original time we were supposed to talk, way back when. I think uh, Carter was president. That's how long we've been trying to do this. <laughs> but there was, a th there was a piece I read, and I think maybe it was on your website, maybe it wasn't. But it, at the time, McCain, and I might be getting the name wrong because my notes are extremely old, C.W. Uh, Bill Young, or maybe it's just Bill Young. Uh, <laughs> but we're both calling Afghanistan our modern... Vietnam and that and not to the level of that we're losing as many lives though we are losing way too many but that it's this financial uh you know, I mean it's financially killing us and I'm, I'm wondering if that to some level was I mean is was that an influence of of a peace action west or I mean cuz to hear <laughs> McCain say something like that is kind of crazy yeah um so the um that in particular um yeah c w young uh, a representative i want to say from uh, maybe Florida um shifted his view someone who had supported the war in Afghanistan all along shifted his view i believe um and and you know uh, we we don't get to take credit for this it was um what shifted his view was a returning vet who um met with him or, or talked to him and told told him his experiences of what's really happening over there. And that was enough to shift the representative to, to realize that this is not a good thing and we need to, we need to change it. That's so, actually encouraging to hear that. I mean, again, maybe I'm callous, but I just think like, I just think of politicians as cigar chomp and guys who are like, how do we make more money? <laughs> it's like, right. so for, to hear a guy who like is affected by someone's story is actually refreshing. Right, and and I guess that's also what gives me hope is that knowing um, that that these things things do change things even that we can't control. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I want to say something kind of cheesy, but like the truth will set us free. And when it comes down to it, as, as people um, <laughs> get off my show. <laughs> I've said the same thing on this show, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Should be the new subtitle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Matt Dwyer, conversations with Matt Dwyer, the truth, setting us free, <laughs> with a comma in there somewhere. But, um, 
you know, um, and that there's certain things that can shift that can make a huge impact. And, and um, you know, as far as um, our, our impact, though, our um, strategy over the last few years on the war in Afghanistan has been to build pressure and build momentum in Congress, um, you know, knowing that we, we couldn't necessarily, um, you know, just call up President Obama and get him on our side. Um, our our strategy has been focused on moving more and more members of Congress to demand uh, a real exit plan for Afghanistan. Uh, we've supported legislation uh, like the McGovern, McGovern Amendment, um, a.k.a. McGovern-Jones Amendment, uh, and the Merkley Amendment in the Senate, which is Congress uh, has the ability to just to demand that some sort of real exit strategy be provided from the administration. Um, and, and, you know, three years ago, our organization, uh, in conjunction uh, with a, a coalition partner, did a um, direct petition to the Progressive Caucus to take a platform on Afghanistan. Um, you know, when um, the same people who won the re-elections in 2008 who said they were going to end the war in Iraq had no uh, platform on Afghanistan. And a lot of people at that time were, um, you know, suggesting that we'd wait and see what Obama did. Some people, the more mainstream Democrats, said, let's give him a year. Um, but the progressives were, were kind of silent on that. Um, that result of that petition ended up being the Progressive Caucus holding a series of forums and bringing in experts who we recommended they hear from, talking about alternative strategies in Afghanistan and Pakistan, uh, after that series of five, five or six forums, uh, the Progressive Caucus released a platform on Afghanistan, um, straight up stole some of our talking points, and and that was huge. And then introduced uh, the McGovern Bill that I mentioned soon after that. Um, and back then, the first time that came up, 36 representatives voted for it. Um, a year later, um, after a year of grassroots mobilizing, getting uh, calls and emails in from on the key targets. Um, meeting with members of Congress, building coalitions, um, uh, all, all this kind of grassroots pressure. Uh, a year later, uh, over 100 people in the House voted for it, and last year um, we saw 204 um, vote for it, including, I think, 26 Republicans. Um, you know, you've seen uh, mayors all across the nation come out and say we can't afford it anymore. So that kind of momentum has been building, and that's you know, we look back at our campaign plans and feel like, you know, even though while we haven't seen a, uh, an immediate end yet, we're, we're, we're succeeding in building that pressure. Um, we can't stop now. <laughs> we got to, uh, and even <laughs> though sure? Obama, <laughs> even though Obama a, does seem, off? <laughs> President Obama does seem to really trying to convince us all that he is really ending that war, um, you know, you we think need he is? Because, I mean... I, 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 in my heart, I want Obama to be Johnny Good Guy, but I mean, he's his foreign policy. Sometimes it's he's he's given W a run for his money, especially with the drone attacks. Like he's yeah. not the dude, but it's like if we keep him accountable, hopefully, if that's possible, we can yeah. knock him in line a little bit because I mean. I think yeah. people were like, oh, he's going to do it. And it's like, you can never put all your faith into a politician. you got to keep on these dudes. Right. And he's under, I mean, uh, obviously immense amounts of pressure. Um, yeah, he's but, fucking I mean, a lot great, of people right? Didn't, <laughs> have, you, you know, <laughs> have you seen that guy's people... head? He's really <laughs> changed a lot. 
lot of people didn't notice that Obama called Afghanistan the good war in the primaries uh, in, back in 2008. Um, and so, I mean, I, I didn't guess, know there I've, could be a good war. That's like <laughs> but, saying know, I did a good drive by. <laughs> he accepted the, the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, and, and he used just war theory to to uh, validate the need to be in Afghanistan. And, and you know, um, as far as from what I learned, just war theory is only uh, applicable if everything else has been tried. And we know that a decade or the last eight years of the Bush administration was severely lacking in all sorts of attempts at diplomacy. So, I mean, obviously, I think we all would have... Um, love to see Obama really uh, double down and get and go further with, with the political capital we we thought we were <laughs> giving him when we elected him the first time too. Um, but again, you know, it's uh, immense amounts of pressure. He has, um, if we you know if we take him, uh, give him the benefit of the doubt and saying that he's trying. Um, you know, it's it's hard not to be skeptical of some of his choices and that he's willing to use. Uh, and man drones without any kind of serious uh, debate over whether or not it's um, a good idea or even legal. Um, yeah. <laughs> I so, just, the I mean, the delivery on even legal was up there with Bob Hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, it's it's hard to see him um, get away with, with uh, announcing a 12-year end plan to an 11-year war and call that, you know, an end. Um so, I just think they I, should have, they should just hire a thousand piece marching band to just march through Afghanistan, and that's how they <laughs> announce it's over. <laughs> just know, a right? big, just a, you know, like it's the end of the Olympics. Just make it a big spectacle of music and dance, and we're out. <laughs> they probably just use fireworks as well. And as, as They've been thing. doing that for the last 10 years, I think. They just blow <laughs> baby arms off. I I um there was I, we barely because uh, your organization also um, works on global warming and we really didn't touch it we touched into environmental stuff a little bit. Um, and, it's actually not true. Oh, it's um, not. I thought I read that on the website. Are you call me a liar <laughs> <laughs> or a poor reader? Wait a minute! I thought this was going to be the truth setting us free. Oh, um, it's the truth until I'm called out for not doing my research and then. Uh, I, I, I thought I saw that, and I uh, maybe it was just a blog or something, and I got. Um, well, then never mind, and I'm going to mm -hmm. cut this out so I don't look like an asshole. <laughs> we, stay, we stay incredibly focused on, uh, you know, I, I, I um. You stay incredibly focused incredibly on nuclear focused. arms and and global warming. <laughs> <laughs> and um. Um, I guess then, and I don't know if you can hear the motorcycles revving outside my apartment, but uh. I got a lot of guys in my neighborhood with those uh, crotch rockets who've got something to prove to daddy. Um, <laughs> but I wanted, uh, I wanted to know how you yourself personally sort of got involved in this because it's, uh, yep. I mean, not just Peace uh, Action West, but like, I mean, for me personally, it's like as a kid, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be funny, blah, blah, blah. And then I also most of the comedians I found myself drawn to uh, were politically involved, so I, that, and the music I've always liked has always sort of had, so that was sort of the progression of to where I am now, and I was just like, and I grew up in a very, you know, a family that 
kind of didn't pay attention to things. Some of my fam brothers do are very politically active now and stuff. But like, how did what was what what brought you to the to this? Yeah. Um. Well, um, I I did study political science in um, college, kind of on a, a whim. Um, I've I guess I consider myself uh, a bit of a free spirit that kind of. Um, takes opportunities as they come. I don't know, picked my major out of a hat. Were you, was your family politically aware? My, you know, um, had the, uh, a little bit of a, uh, well, I had a global perspective um, growing up where my father was from Pakistan, my mother is from Peru, um, but Are they I grew up first generation? Uh, yes, and I grew up, was born and raised in Chicago. Oh, I, um, I didn't know that. I'm from Chicago. <laughs> Actually, I just heard that on the your last podcast uh, with another Chicagoan. Um, Chicagoans will set us free. Um, they will best <laughs> best people on earth, and best drivers as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. You know, um, but um, you know, I actually grew up um, evangelical Christian. Um, they, my parents found the Lord uh, when I was young, and. Uh, and I grew up in, in an evangelical Christian, non-denominational evangelical church. Um, and did you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior at some point? A, a couple times. I did. I did oh. as well in my teens, which I discussed with the Dave on the David Bassan episode. Totally not into that right now, but. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting. Um, my brother, my brother often uh, accuses me uh, as of still being an evangelical. But now on an issue, personally, that I think I can prove, like the facts are there. <laughs> there is no, there is no, um, you know, uh, invisible God to believe in. Um, there's a uh, 56% of our federal tax dollars going to the Pentagon budget and the discretionary spending that is very much there. And if we're, you know, not, not, paying attention to it, it's, uh, you know, it's got real-life consequences. So um, so I, I think that has somehow, that experience uh, of being an evangelical Christian maybe prepped me from being, to being a, a street canvasser. Um, the issue, how I got involved with the organization and these issues, um, was Craigslist um, at a time um, when I... One of the few people searching for something not seedy on Craigslist. <laughs> it's either a bike or a blowjob on Craigslist. <laughs> and yeah, uh, in the nonprofit section, uh, I saw a post, and um, well, and I and I will add that. Um, so I, I consider myself uh, after studying polit politics in in uh, college. Uh, I spent my junior year in Washington D.C. Um, and I totally lost interest after spending time in D.C. because I just didn't think I could really impact it. Um, there's a whole, you know, it's culture and society that goes along with it. It's all, um, and and I and I shifted my senior year then towards art and something I felt I could have more control over. I started taking all these uh, entry level art classes. I ended up moving to New York City, getting a job in book publishing, and working in the art department of a couple different houses, and and um, you know had a, had a great time uh, doing that. Um, but during that period. Um, was you know when 
millions of people were marching against the war in Iraq, and and I felt totally apathetic and and powerless to to do anything because it didn't seem like anything was working. Um, and I consider that, you know, kind of my low point uh, as far as my my ap- personal apathy goes. I think partially because I also had a deconstruction of my faith where I felt like uh, everything I used to say that I uh, I knew and believed in, I, I couldn't say that I, do, I do you was... still believe in Jesus Christ? Um, I believe... Um... He was a good dancer. A lot of people believe that. <laughs> Real great good soft guy. shoe. <laughs> yeah, great guy. Um, I think, you know... Um, I, I don't hold um, any any or many uh, beliefs uh, in that aspect in that realm. Um, I'm, I'm a little more of a, a now and here and what's uh, what's real and in front of us. Um, you know, I believe principles of love and doing and a lot of the stuff that Jesus supposedly said. You know, I think is great. Yeah, like, who to beat kill. him to the punch? By the way, by 500 years. <laughs> um, so. But, you know, so I went through this period of apathy um, where suddenly I didn't feel like I could take these big, make these claims on, on what's true. Um, but that also led me to a, a, a period of feeling very powerless to do anything. Um, so skip forward uh, six years when I, on a whim, moved to L.A., um, spent two years um, just doing freelance stuff, got to a point where I... Uh, looking for a job and, and saw this, this posting uh, for, you know, talking to people about these issues. And um, I love to talk, and I figured I'd probably be good at it. And it was. Um, and it, so what started with um, just a job has developed into a full-blown obsession and how and I spend way, way uh, too much time thinking about it. I, I do feel privileged that I've uh, had the opportunity as a canvasser and canvas director to 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 really get to to pay attention to the news on a granular day to day level. Um, it's it's hard, isn't it? Learn though? about organizing. Mm. I mean, it, it is because I have to do that as well with I mean, this show, and it's like, and I, 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 you have to seek out all alternative and like mainstream, and it, there's days where I just shut down, and I'm like, well, I guess some Twilight Zone episodes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, I guess I feel very, very lucky to to get paid to do this work. Um, not very, not a lot. <laughs> about half of what I made in the corporate world um, back when my twenties. But, but, um, but you know, not enough to to um, get by. And 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 you know, as an organization, um, Peace Action West, you know, knows that if we're going to do this. Um, we have to do this professionally. We're up against professionals, um, and and you know if we can't accomplish this just on volunteerism and and, and mobilizing them, you know, using volunteers, um, and we should be doing this full time. And um, I think that's you know another strength of the organization and and, and um, what's uh, kept me and many others in the organization and, and movement for for a long time. It's really uh, great. And I just before we wrap this up, I want to say you can supplement your income while you're canvassing, selling coke or ecstasy. I'm just throwing it out there, and maybe I know some of the people who could help you with this. I'm just saying, think about it. We'll edit this portion out, and 
Are there, I want, if there are things to uh, plug, if uh, Peace Action has a Twitter the, uh, or any internet things or books or anything that is possible, please plug now. Plug away. Um, PeaceActionWest.org, uh, our website, has a really awesome blog, which people can sign up to get uh, delivered to their inboxes. Um, it has a um, email e-action alert list you can uh, sign up for as well to get um, notified when to contact your members of Congress. Um, there is a donate button on there. Uh, people can join up and become a contributing member of Peace Action West. You can pick any amount and do it on a monthly level to help us make history. You could do it a one-time gift as well. Um, if people put my name, Francis, in the uh, organizer box, um, that's that's huge. That goes to help me run the LA Canvas and support the work that we're doing um, even down here. And um, we also have a, a Facebook, uh, Peace Action West, a Twitter, which I believe is also Peace Action West. Um, you can also find out more about um, our, the campaign for a nuclear weapons-free world uh, at a separate website called nuclearweaponsfree.org. Um, and um, just by, you know, there's a, definitely a lot online. Uh, you can look us up in an encyclopedia and learn all about the history of, of like the... Like an old, uh, of, old school big brown book encyclopedia? <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. We're, uh, um, there's, there's um, you know, a huge, enormous history. Um, one of the, the biggest challenge, the biggest objection we get, uh, I get, or, well, we, we get when we're talking to people on the street is that they want to go do research about us. And I think, you know, in a day and age when, yeah, there's a lot of organizations that have popped up on, online and, um, you know, um, we're an organization that you could spend years researching. And what I think is really important that people recognize, um, um, you know, the time for researching is, is behind us. The time for action is now. Uh, when people join Peace Action West, uh, as a member, literally our political team is representing them when we meet with members of Congress, uh, which, you know, our political team is going to D.C. Uh, in, the, in the next couple of weeks, um, and we've been ramping up the grassroots pressure um, to, to make sure that the sequestration deal includes significant cuts to nuclear weapons spending and to, to the Pentagon budget. Um, I'd encourage, you know, your listeners... Um, to, to call call their members of Congress, call their senators right now, um, and, and let you know express their feelings on where these budget cuts should be happening. Um, right now is a really crucial time. Um, you know the defense contractor lobbyists are, are, are there as well, and um, it's uh, it's you know we're never going to have the money that they have, um, but what we have is is people speaking out. Um, you know thousands and thousands of people. And you know that's it's their only shot. So well, thank you. Uh, that I, I'm I'm very thankful that you we, that we finally got to do this, and uh, this was really great. So thank you very much. Cool, Matt. I really appreciate you having me and helping to, to get you know these messages out. I, I um, thank you and for for all the work that you are doing. Thank you. Uh, this and conversations with Mike Dwyer. Uh, I forgot to mention at the top of the show, um, I have a Tumblr page called Conversations with mattdwyer.tumblr.com where I just do a write-up of all the episodes. I write up all the episodes, uh, a little behind-the-scenes, little 
little stories, little secrets about the show. So uh, check that shit out. And uh, also, if you'd like the show, you could donate to it. You could donate to the show uh, through on the Feral Audio page there. Because uh, uh, this is, takes up a lot of my time. And uh, we make sacrifices here at Feral Audio so we can entertain you and inform you. And I know Dustin Marshall, that guy, he works his ass off and he needs... He needs a, you know what? He needs some soup. Why don't you donate some money so Dustin Marshall can get a nice, nice uh, soup, something Asian with seaweed in it. He probably likes that. He's a vegetarian. And uh, if you can't afford to donate some money, uh, I got a, I got an Amazon link. Anytime you buy stuff on Amazon, you can just use that, and I get some money back from that. And I buy cocaine and I give it to high school kids. <laughs> Uh, and uh, explore the feralaudio.com website and check out some of our other shows. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you write a review about my show on iTunes and tell your friends about it. And follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Dwyer. And uh, I hope you stay real cool because you're a real groovy cat. And I think you're awesome and I love you. And uh, power to the people, everybody. National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. <laughs> the NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.